My name is Keith Beavers, and Adam Teeter, CEO of VinePair, and I went to Sonoma and Napa for a week. And what did I come back with? A bobblehead of Agastan Harazathi. Yeah. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to Vine Pairs Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tastings director of Vine Pair, and how are you doing? Here we are, another listener episode. You guys have burning questions, and I have burning answers. <laughs> I don't think my answers are burning. Anyway, I'm going to answer some of your questions. Couldn't get to all of them. I'm going to get to some of them. This will be fun. Let's do this. Jay Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pairs Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide range of favorites, ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wines. I mean, Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but you know, this is a wine podcast. So whether you're new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. We look forward to serving you enjoyment in moments that matter. Cheers. Okay, wine lovers, I've had a couple shots of espresso, and uh, I'm going to get to some of these listener questions. I always dig what you guys come up with, and you come up with a lot of them, um, but I, well, you know, I only get 20 minutes or so in this podcast episode, so I'm going to get to the ones I can get to, and then we're going to go from there. And then we're going to move on to other subjects and other episodes, and to learn more and more as we keep going. It's interesting that you know, we've been doing this podcast for wow, a while now like a couple seasons, a few seasons. Oh, geez. I don't even know, but there's always still something to learn. So let's dive into these questions and see if we can't learn something new every day. Am I acting weird? I'm having fun. Okay. The first question is a, some of these I'm just going to kind of mash together. I had a question about acidity, more questions about acidity and a question about pH and they kind of go together. So the question was basically, what is pH? I know it has something to do with hydrogen ions, but I'm really confused in what's going on. So I believe pH does deserve an entire episode. So let's just give a little generalized thing here so you can walk away with a little nugget of knowledge. When you look up pH in the Oxford Wine Companion, the first sentence kind of wraps this whole thing up. pH is a measurement of the concentration of effective acidity in a solution. So there's your pH and your acidity all in one sentence. But what does pH mean and how, what does it have to do with acidity? Okay, let's, let's do this a little quickly. And that sentence is kind of clear when you understand what the P and the H are for. The P, the lowercase p in pH, is the word potens. P-O-T-E-N-Z. It's a German word for power or concentration. And the H is for hydrogen. So pH is the concentration or power of the hydrogen in general, and that pH is represented on a scale. And that scale is called a negative logarithm. And that scale goes from 0 to 14. And 14 being what's called alkaline, meaning there is not a lot of power or concentration of hydrogen ions in that part of the scale. So it's alkaline. And then from 14, we go negatively down to zero. And as we get down to zero, there's more concentrations of hydrogen ions, the more perception of acidity. 
For example, at seven, right in the middle of the pH scale is water or blood. Ooh, blood. And from there, things get more acidic. At six, you have milk. At five, you have black coffee. Two, you have lemon juice. And when we get to zero, it's battery acid. You notice how I skipped three and four right there? Well, three and four, that's wine. So wine is acidic. It's below the seven mark in the pH scale. And it usually lives right there between three and four. There's a lot of factors of pH in wine. There is pH. The pH in the soil in which the vines grow is important. The pH that's in the resulting wine is important. But in general, what pH is, is when you have a higher concentration of hydrogen ion activity, which means in sort of the lower, more acidic side of the pH scale, that high concentration of hydrogen ions forces what's called pigment molecules to form in a positive charge. And that retains color and vibrancy in wine. So what you're seeing, so basically what it is, is pH is the activity of hydrogen ion activity in a solution. And if there is a high hydrogen ion activity in a solution, it is at a lower pH, meaning that there are in that solution, solution hydrogen ions that are emitting a positive charge. And that positive charge brightens up color in wine gives you an, a, a sense of refreshment in acidity in, in, in the wine with acidity and helps that wine actually retain its color and vibrancy for quite some time. That is what pH does. As pH rises in wine, for example, red wine made from the Gamay grape clocks in at about 3.4 on the pH scale. So it has a nicely high concentration of hydrogen ion activity. A Zinfandel is 3.7 or more. So what's happening there is it has less of a positive charge of hydrogen ion activity. So what you're seeing is, yes, there is acidity in Zinfandel, but there is less so than there is in a Gamay. Therefore, that hold of color is going to be deeper than in the Gamay. Another way of looking at it, a very simple way of looking at it, is that red wine will always or often have a higher pH than white wine, right? So white wine has a lower pH. That means it has more perception of acidity and it holds its color. Red wine will always have a little bit more, but will also be within that 3.3 or 4 position in the pH scale for it to retain its acidity, as, uh, its brightness as well. There are also other factors like potassium in the, uh, in the soil and how that affects pH. But if we do an episode that dives deeper into pH, I will go into all that. It's a very fascinating part of the wine world. And it's actually one of the most important elements. Well, yeah, one of the most important elements in winemaking, in wine itself as a physical thing. And just for a fun fact, within that three and four on the pH scale, We'll get grapefruit juice, we get OJ, apples, all the famous sodas like Dr. Pepper, Coke, 7-Up, Pepsi, beer is in there, tomato juice, and oddly enough, acid rain. That's a weird one, but it's there. Next, somebody asked about red wine and how sometimes it tastes carbonated or fizzy when it's not supposed to. 
is that bad and can it be prevented? Well, nothing in wine is really bad. I mean, it is. There are things that can spoil what a winemaker was looking to achieve. And if you go back and listen to the wine flaws episode, I go into a lot of that. We're currently in what's being called a quote unquote natural wine movement where there is a new style of wine coming onto the market that is not about the varieties in which the wine is made so much as it about the spoilage yeast um, and other exposures to oxygen used in the winemaking process. And at, at, at times, these spoilage yeasts and, and this stuff that it, it creates, like volatile acidity and all this, it was, is often considered a flaw in wine. But because now we have this natural wine movement, the flaws in wine, like the smells of mouse and Band-Aid and the little fizzy stuff in red wine that usually isn't supposed to be there, being embraced in this sort of a new subcategory of wine. So if you're into natural wine, you're kind of looking for those flaws. You're looking for Britannomyces to attack the wine. You're looking for oxygen to over-oxidize the wine a little bit because you're you're doing this quote-unquote low intervention thing. You're just letting the wine quote-unquote make itself. I just keep on saying quote-unquote because it doesn't really do that. But you're you're they're trying to achieve this sort of like natural wine making thing. Um, now, if you're not into that style, what you're experiencing is there are. It used to be called dirty wine making, but not anymore because of the natural wine movement. So what's happening is, if it's if it's unintentional, then it's a mistake. And what happened was the wine making process, it, something interfered with the wine making process in that too much oxygen got into a wine or that this spoilage yeast called Britannomyces continued to eat the sugar after the beneficial yeast was dead or rendered impotent and kept on eating sugar and emitting carbon dioxide, reducing the level of sugar in the wine. Also, if a wine wasn't racked and filtered and still had some yeast in it when it was bottled, again, for this low intervention stuff, it's very popular then those little yeast cells could have done a small bit of second fermentation in the bottle. So when you drink it, there's a slight fizziness to it. Again, this was once considered a flaw, and if a winemaker does it accidentally, they'll let you know. But it is now an entire new category of wine called natural wine. And I think what's happening now is the, the, the natural wine thing has become so popular, it's, it's, really a, it's heavily <laughs> inventoried in our urban centers of this country. So... If you're ordering like a Syrah and you think you're going to get like what Syrah gives you, that, that, that peppery, earthy awesomeness, and it tastes like, you know, it smells like Band-Aids and it's a little bit fizzy and it's not right, you could either be drinking a flawed wine that was accidentally flawed or you could be drinking an intentionally flawed wine that is now called natural wine. So it's a little bit complicated out there, but if you get that fizziness and that weirdness, that's what it is. It's a little slight flaw in winemaking or an intentional flaw in winemaking. I know, it's confusing. The next question I really liked was about decanting. And um, a listener on uh, Instagram was like, we're having a fight <laughs> over decanting. Can you decant in anything, including plastic? And I was like, oh, wow, that's a good question. And 
we have a whole decanting episode here, but you can decant wine in anything. Is whatever helps a wine breathe and gets exposure to oxygen is is fine. The only thing about a plastic vessel with wine is that plastic has the ability to um, retain pigments and other bacteria in the plastic. So if you're using a plastic container to decant, it has to be a certain kind of clear plastic. And you'll see that with the popular plastic stemless wine glasses out there. There's a company called Go Vino, and they actually have a decanter that's plastic, and it's a clear plastic, and it's it's smooth, and it doesn't really retain all that junk, and it actually can be washed in the dishwasher. It's pretty awesome. So ideally, you want glass, but in a pinch, if you have a plastic container and you need to decant a wine, it's no problem. Next, I got a few questions about hybrids, or specifically, there's been a lot of talk recently in the wine world about varieties other than the most popular ones that we know that have the ability to survive in certain areas better than these popular varieties. And maybe we should be celebrating those more than like Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. And this is specifically for the U S. Um, well, we have them. They're called hybrids, and they've been around for a long time. If you heard, uh, go ahead and listen to the episode. Well, I have a whole three-part series on the history of American wine, which mentions hybrids, and I also have an episode on the phylloxera epidemic. Epidemic? Is that what the... um, What is it? The phylloxera... um, uh, What is it, guys? The scourge. I don't know. Jeez, my brain. Hybrids are awesome. The only issue with hybrids throughout history is that it had this particular compound in it that gave off this sort of foxy animal pelt pheromone-like smell that was a little bit too unctuous and took away from the fruit the variety was trying to give. And what a hybrid is, is it's the offspring of two varieties of two different species. So this is going all the way back to season one. We talk about Vitis vinifera. You know, the genus is Vitis. And under Vitis, you have Vitis vinifera, which is the European variety, and there's a few others. And then you have a bunch of Vitis that are native to the United States. And it's called an interspecific hybrid. This is often confused with something called a cross, which is the same thing, but with vines within the same species. So a hybrid would be a Vitis vinifera vine and a Vitis labrusca vine had an offspring, and that would be a hybrid. If a European vine like Pinot Noir crossed with another Vitis vinifera like Gouet Blanc, this goes back to our Pinot Noir episode, and create something like Chardonnay, that is what is called a cross or intraspecific. And over time, there have been a few hybrids that we use today because they don't have that foxiness to them and they actually produce wine that our former European palates still to this day can enjoy. 
and there's a whole bunch of hybrids out there, but the the two that I want to talk about were the well, there were three that I was asked about, and one is called Chambersan, and one is called Vignol. The other one's called Norton, but that's a whole different story. So Chambersan is very popular in the United States, specifically in the Northeast. You're going to see it being done in Vermont, Virginia, but more importantly, one of the the, the first AVA to ever be awarded to the United States before Napa ever was was Augusta, Missouri. And in here is where a lot of these hybrids actually thrive. And Chambersan was originally from the Loire Valley, and it's a very aromatic wine. Often it's not, it can be vinified like a regular wine, or it can go something through something called carbonic maceration, which we'll get into at some point. But it can be a very fun wine. It has good acidity to it, but it has a deep, dark color. It's very aromatic. It's a very fun, funky wine. And it was kind of a big deal in France in the 70s. But here in the eastern part of the United States, it thrives because it can really handle hot, like wet weather. But it's also very winter hardy, which is why it thrives in Missouri. The other hybrid that's working really well in America is a white hybrid called Vignol. And this one's pretty exciting because um, it was built to, well, it wasn't built for are the, the climates in the United States, but it does very well here. It buds late and ripens early, just in time to miss all the frosts. It does well in cool climates and makes kind of very clean, almost not neutral, but very refreshing white wine. But what I what, what's really interesting about Vignol is that it is very susceptible to Botrytis cinera, otherwise known as noble rot, that fungus, that rot that is very famous in the area of Sauternes in Bordeaux, making some of the famous, most famous wine in the world called Sauternes. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it's just really cool that we have our own variety because in Sauternes, it's Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon and some other varieties. But here we have this Vignol that actually does the work for us in the United States. And again, Missouri is where it's very popular. 13% of all the vines in Missouri are Vignol. So the Augusta AVA in Missouri, which is part of the Ozark Mountain AVA, if you ever get a chance, go to that world and try what they're doing there. Find some sweet Vignol. Then there's the crazy Norton variety, the red variety named after Dr. D. Norton, or should I say Dr. Daniel Norborn Norton. He was a physician and horticulturalist just outside of Richmond, Virginia. And he discovered this grape in the early 1800s. And he promoted it as a wine grape. There was a, this was at a time when people were doing a lot of table grapes, but wine grapes were always, if you listen to the American Wine History series, everyone's always trying to find a grape to make good wine from. The origin of the grape is pretty mercury, mercury, <laughs> murky, but what is known is that DNA profiling has showed that it, it does have vitis, Astravalis, which is a American uh, uh, vine species, and vinifera in its pedigree. This grape can make great wine, and it does. And there are places in Virginia, and especially, again, in Missouri, specifically in the Augusta AVA, where it's done very well. There's actually a winery called Mount Pleasant Winery, and they sent me a Norton, and they actually sent me a Norton-tasting Stemware, a, a glass that was specifically designed for that variety, kind of like what Regal does. And now that's my 
tasting glass that I use. Wines from the Norton Grape are deep and dark, almost fleshy, a little bit viscous, highly aromatic, no foxy flavor. It takes on oak very well. It can also be stainless steel. It's an awesome variety. It's the oldest Native American vine cultivated for wine here in the United States. So I think Norton is something we should be, you know, looking for even more. I, not a lot of it is, is made and the distribution of it is tough. But if you go to Missouri, if you go to Virginia, if you're in the Northeast and you see Chambersan, Vignol, or Norton, give it a go. Okay, I have more questions. I don't have time. I have more questions, but I don't have time because, you know, we got to keep things short here at Wine 101 because you're on your commute or wherever you're at and you got stuff to do. So if I didn't get to your question, I'm sorry, but keep on sending questions in in general so I can just always see what you guys want to know so I know what to teach. I love these listener episodes. I want to do more of them. But in the meantime, let's get ready for next week because the next couple episodes are going to get crazy. See you soon. Find Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pear headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pear. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pear, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pear staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. E&J Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pear's Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide range of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wines. I mean, Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but, you know, this is a wine podcast. So whether you're new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. We look forward to serving you enjoyment in moments that matter. Cheers. Visit BarrelRoom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.